617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Dake. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk. I am so happy and honored that you have came along this week, we are going to be talking about hoarding and hoarding behaviors and how, number one, how can you recognize it? There, there is a difference between collectors and hoarders, but the biggest issue is how does that affect us as death investigators, criminal investigators, things like that, and how will it affect us when it comes to our safety inside a residence or a structure where a hoarder has died. And we're going to talk about what what to look for, the recognition, and some safety issues. It's going to be a great conversation. You're going to learn a lot uh, about this. And you know what? You might learn a little bit about yourself, whether you're a collector or a hoarder. We're going to talk about that at length. But before we get into that, you know, if you are on our mailing list, you would have received an email about the reduction in price of the monthly membership. And there was some problems getting to that link. And so we sent out another email and there were still problems with that link. And we've got the problem fixed now. Apparently there was an issue uh, with our website and others, but our website on our host server's was being hit with a bunch of Chinese spam trying to break into websites. And of course, because of that, there was issues with our site and it was blocking a lot of the forwards, lots of problems. I don't even understand it all. Nonetheless, it is fixed. But I will say this. If you are interested in being a member of the Academy where you receive not only uh, the... uh, Death Investigator Magazine every month in PDF form, but also a new monthly training dropped into your dashboard every single month. And there's some other perks along there as well. We have dropped that price down to $27 a month. Now, if you are a current member and you are paying a higher monthly price than that, your price has been dropped as well. So you actually are getting it now for the $27 a month. $27 a month is an exceptional price for a new online training every single month and the magazine and everything else that comes with it. You cannot beat that. So that's something you really, really, really want to look into because you're going to get ongoing training. And if you need credits through ABMDI or somebody else, then this can count for that as well. And of course, if you want classroom training, we've got lots and lots of classroom training coming up, short courses in surface and buried body. We've got some interview interrogation classes. We've got fire and explosion death investigation, some crime scene investigation, medical legal death investigator stuff, all that coming in 2019 here in our classroom here in Missouri. So all of that stuff. Plus, we're going to we're going to be in Mississippi this year. We're going to be in Maine this year. We're, we're going to be all over and at the Arkansas, I believe. So if you need us to come there, myself and or even one of our other instructors will come and teach in your place. And we also can do it virtually. So it saves you a lot there as well. So without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I had about hoarding 
I got a psychologist on the phone. We're going to talk about this at length. And, and hopefully at the end of this, then you're going to have a better understanding of what it is and how you can help protect yourself on these scenes. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back. And as I introduced a little bit ago, I got Dr. Michelle Dosher on the phone with me. And today we're going to talk about hoarding, which I did introduce some. But Dr. Dosher, Dosher, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I, I kind of introduced you some and, I, and, and you've got a lot of background and you, you, you deal in a lot of things forensically. And of course, I got to say, I love your website, Mind Sleuth, because that just says it all. You are a detective of the mind. I think in all <laughs> things that you do. Well, I'd like to think so. So, but today uh, I want to talk about hoarding um, and, and I want to, you know, there's some specific cases that I kind of want to give examples to and you can weigh into, but but we deal with hoarding situations on our end from a police, law enforcement, and uh, death investigation. But let's start down at the basics. Um, what what causes someone to be a hoarder? And, and I'm not necessarily talking about the fact that they like books and all of a sudden they got lots of books. I'm talking about the, the hoarding behavior that you can't even move around their house. What causes that type of behavior? And, and is it just a behavior or is it a psychological issue? Well, it actually is a disorder. Uh, it is defined as a disorder and it is related to obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, as far as your question, you know, what causes a person to start hoarding? And I hate to sound this way, but there's so many things that we don't exactly know specifically what causes it. However, we do know that a person can experience some type of traumatic event in their life, extremely stressful, and it may just basically exacerbate that hoarding tendency. So to say is they might have already had some tendencies and then they go through a traumatic period in their life and then voila, all of a sudden they find themselves hoarding. Uh, unfortunately, most people don't immediately go to a doctor or a psychiatrist or psychologist and say, you know what, I think I've developed a problem. I like to buy stuff all the time. It's not really anything I need, um, but I just like to buy stuff and then I can't get rid of it. And, you know, my spouse has asked me, my children have asked me, but I just can't let go of it. People typically do not go in and say that. Um, it's not until perhaps in your case, you go into a residence and you look around going, oh, my gosh, how did this person live like this? Um, and that's the thing that differentiates hoarders from collectors. A hoarder will keep collecting and collecting, and they'll have things placed on tables, chairs, their beds, down hallways, upstairs. And, you know, one of the things that I know investigating crime scenes, I've walked in going, how did this person live? How did they function? How did they eat? Uh, the conditions eventually become extremely unsanitary. Um, it gets to the point that sometimes they can't even use their appliances. And, you know, we wonder, how does a person get like this? Well, it goes back to your original question. What possibly happened? Uh, is there something else? Yes, usually for instance, they might have a major depressive disorder or anxiety, whether it be social anxiety or generalized anxiety. They spend a lot of time where? 
inside their house. They don't go out. How do they stay connected? They purchase, they buy, things are delivered. You see, it's kind of like a cycle. It's almost like one thing just kind of leads to the next. Well, and that does make that make sense to me, but there are some examples that I have, you know, is is uh, my wife's grandmother. Now, she's passed away now, but my wife's grandmother, the upstairs of the house was immaculate, and, and that's an understatement. It was immaculate. But the basement was full, but if she would have bread bags full of bread ties. She had jars and cans and things, and, you know, she would have cl- uh, strips of cloth and things. You know, she was a child of the Depression, and mm-hmm. and she knew that these things were valuable at some point, and, and, and she—now, I'm not going to say she didn't have some form of organization. She just had a lot of organization, you know? I mean, and, and it took forever to clean that basement out. Now, that wasn't upstairs. Now, she lived very, very nice, uh, but, but I think that is a form of hoarding, am I right, in that they are—they're they're looking at the, oh, my gosh, what if the Depression happens again? I might need these things. Well, Darren, unfortunately, clinically, they would say no, because one of the specifiers that it doesn't meet is it was not impeding on her daily life. It was not in her active area of living. So it would not technically be considered a disorder that's affecting her biologically, psychologically, and socially. Okay, very good. So, and, that's, that's a very good teaching and, point. I would have thought that, and that, that's very interesting. Well, and the fact, too, that, like you said, she was organized in the sense of the way that she hoarded, okay? She had her twisty ties. She had her bags. Um, hoarders don't organize. They're very disorganized people. They, they really, they just can't get organized. Um, they're very indecisive. Um, they can't stick with something. They flip-flop around. But then here's the funny thing. They tend to be perfectionists. So, you know, try to wrap, try to wrap your head around that one. They're perfectionists. What are they, what are they perfecting? Well, they know in their sense, in their minds, I've got to acquire more. I've got to, you know, whether it's for utility purposes, very rarely is it for aesthetic value or collecting value. It's usually utility. So that's kind of where the OCD comes in. And maybe that's where, you know, you were kind of connecting your mother-in-law with this was I know way back when, you know, these items would have come in handy. What if, what if I get in that situation again? Do I need these? Should I keep these? You know, um, I've also heard where people, they talk about a person just gets in their head that like, what if my identity, what if it goes away? What if, what if I no longer exist? Is somebody going to forget about me? And they will start keeping everything that has their name on it. I'm talking utility bills, um, magazines that have the labels, and they stack them everywhere. Very interesting. Now that, so a, a foster child, for instance, that might be hoarding food because, you know, they're in a good environment now, but they used to not be, so they're hoarding food. That's not really considered hoarding either, right? If by that, that that's just right. a self-preservation type of a of a thing, but we call it hoarding food, but that's not really the definition of hoarding we're talking about. No, exactly. So, right. so what no, creates they, what creates the pile the, the piles of of unusable items? Uh, you know, literally household garbage. I mean, there's well, but that's not garbage to them, though. See, that's the thing. And in extreme instances where you have extreme 
extreme hoarders. They collect some really bizarre things. Excrement, <laughs> nails, I mean, I'm talking fingernails, clippings, hair, okay, uh, rotten food. Wow. They so, can't let go of it. So what would differentiate, what would, what would be the difference between a hoarder and a house where, uh, and I'll just give you a real life example, a house where, you know, there's only two rooms that you could even pass through. Uh, one of the rooms, though, is full of trash, trash, trash bags. They just throw it in the room and, and they're just trash bags, just everything that they would throw away normally or burn. Uh, and then there's dogs all over the house. And of course, there's feces and urine and the floor is just sop and soaky and they live in that. Now, that's not necessarily hoarding. That's just a mental disorder to live in that type of filth or, or is it borderline? Well, there's also animal hoarders. So if you're talking about a house that you just mentioned, if there are a lot of animals in there, um, if they're basically starving, they're not being taken care of, they're not being kept clean, and possibly you might have found dead animals. I've run across that before. Um, it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. They can't let go. I mean, that's part of the hoarding. You know, it's a two-sided. One, we got to acquire. we got to have more. we got to get more of this. And two, you can't let it go. And that's the same thing with, you know, the food, the rotting food. But now, like you said, you walk into a house, okay, it's dirty, and there's just trash bags here and there, you know, thrown around, hasn't been cleaned up. Is that hoarding? Well, one of the factors would be, okay, are there chairs that you can sit in? Is there a bed the person can go to bed in? Um, Can they use their kitchen stove? If not, if there's piles of stuff in the chairs, on the stove, in the bed, then it has impeded into their active areas. Therefore, that's one of the specifiers that differentiates a hoarder and someone that's just not a good housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, an extremely poor housekeeper or or <laughs> or a hoarder. And so so that makes, you know, that makes good sense. But let's talk a little bit about some environmental dangers that both sides, but first let's talk about the the victim in this case or the homeowner. What type of environmental dangers have you seen that they will experience living in that type of environment? Um, for instance, falling downstairs. Uh, you might have an elderly person, and the reason I say elderly is because you can start hoarding at age preteen ages, 10, 11, 12 years old. But what they have found is incrementally, every decade of life, the hoarding gets extremely more intense um, to the point that that's typically why, that's when people notice it, is when you know someone has passed. They go into the home, they find them, and they find the condition that they're living in. Well, this didn't just start overnight. Chances are it's been going on for 40, 50-plus years, okay? So, yes, that's I've run across that before where an elderly person actually fell down some stairs because of the stairs. There was stuff piled all up and down the stairs, hallways. You could barely go through there. Um, there's been people that died, quote, of natural causes, or so I was told, but they were elderly, they were in an environment, living by themselves, 
But then, like we mentioned, too, you look in the kitchen. Um, the refrigerator may or may not have been even running. Um, open it up, you know, when there's mold and there's rotten food in there and just packed. You know, what were they living on? How were they living? Um, if there were animals in the house, typically, you know, more diseases, very, very unsanitary conditions. So, yeah, these all have a factor. So let me back up just for a minute, just not only for my clarification, but also for the listeners. You know, one of the things, if I understand correctly, that makes it a hoarding situation is when they it gets to the point that they don't have livable surfaces, chairs, tables, things like that, but and, and may or may not have working refrigerators, things like that. Um, you know, but if it's just an issue of, I, I mean, I've been in a lot of houses where I would call it a hoarder, but of course, by your definition, it, it may not be, because that's what I'm trying to uh, make sure our listeners understand, because we go in the house and say, oh, that's a hoarder. Well, no, not really, if there's livable spaces. But, you know, I've seen houses where the refrigerator quits working and the well goes out, and they don't even take the time to fix the well or try to fix the well or nothing. And, and of course, you know, tissue paper, you know, toilet paper is piled up in the bathroom and a bathtub and, and they have no, they live out of a cooler. They don't fix a refrigerator. And I mean, that's more of a psychological issue than, than a hoarder issue. If there's usable space, um, even though it's trash and messy and full of stuff, or is that a fine right. line? There's a very fine line but if there's still livable, usable space, even, I mean, I've been in homes before that there was actually no running water in the house. And they were living in the house, though. There was a space for a bed. There were a couple of chairs. Uh, it was dirty, filthy, yes. But you didn't literally have piles of items just stacked along the walls, on top of the tables, on top of the chairs. Um, and like you said, to make sure that everyone understands, we're not talking about grandma's house that she's lived in for 70 years and now the back two bedrooms that no one, you know, ever comes and visits. They're just more or less storage rooms. We're not talking about the basement that you go into or the attic that is just cluttered um, because kids, you know, have parent stuff and grandparent stuff. Yeah, that's definitely not hoarding. But hoarding gets to a point where it may start out with just one bedroom, but over time now it's it <laughs> impeded the entire entire house. Um, you know, I right. you know, at one time I'd say maybe my garage you call me hoarder because I schemed to kept everything. Um, but you know th- that's really not. I'm just trying to. Uh, I might need it, right? I might need it. That's that's excuse right. of a hoarder. I might need it. Uh, but anyway, we got that cleaned out. Um, but but there again, there's a psychological issue uh, comes in. When they're not seeing it, or, or do they see it? I mean, are, are, do they know this is a problem and they can't help it, or are they justifying it and it, to them it's not a problem? They are working through it. When it is not an extreme case, and like you said, possibly early on during the phase, yes, they know that they have a problem. Some of them do. Okay, yes, I constantly order stuff off the internet or I'm always watching the TV shows and I'm ordering stuff off the TV shows and then I just can't get rid of this stuff, you know? Well, here, I'll take some. Well, no, I don't mean that I can't get rid of it. I mean, I just can't let go of it. Okay. Or they, or you have, you know, the other person who you ask them, you know, why, why do you have all these credit cards? You're running up your credit cards. Why are you constantly ordering stuff? Well, I needed that. I'm not just, you know, arbitrarily ordering stuff. I mean, I, I'm ordering things that I need and I can use. 
Okay, they're not admitting that they have a problem. Okay, well, you know, why don't we take some of this or sell some of these items or why don't you have a yard sale or let's goodwill it? Well, no, I'm, I, this is not a good time. I'm not ready to do that right now. Okay, they're not admitting. But, you know, this, on the other hand, cannot be confused with someone, let's say, that has had traumatic brain injury or someone that has some type of debilitating disease that is affecting, you know, their cognitive abilities. Or we're not talking about someone who is in early stages of Alzheimer's or vascular dementia. No, you know, they will have, quote, some hoarding tendencies, but that's a result of their disability or their disease, not a mental disorder. But hoarding, and so hoarding it's in and of itself is generally a mental disorder that is brought on many times by something else? Is that how I'm understanding it? Yes, possibly by a traumatic event or extreme stress. Um, and the thing is, is some of the people that, you know, actually realize that, okay, I do have a problem. It's not until they start looking back and they're going through, you know, some therapy that, oh my gosh, you know what? Now I remember when I started acquiring this. But unfortunately, the majority of them, they never do go and talk to anybody because they don't realize it gets so bad that they don't realize that they have a problem. Or maybe a family member's consider it's a possibility they don't want to upset the person or the person refuses to go talk to anybody. Um, what few instances, a lot of times that they've been diagnosed is, the person is actually talking to someone, a doctor or, you know, a psychologist for something else. And, you know, here's the key. Just because a person comes in and says, you know, I just, I can't go out the door unless I turn it five times before I leave. I have to wash my hands. You know, I have to do this before I do this. I have to do these things in these steps. Okay, we're talking obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, less than 20% of people with OCD actually have some hoarding tendencies. But they tend to be kind of of the bizarre type that I mentioned earlier. So it's not unless the doctor starts asking them about some other issues that they can possibly key in on that. And one of the issues would be, okay, OCD, they typically do not buy things in excess. However, they might start collecting things, like we mentioned, um, newspapers, uh, utility bills, magazines, uh, freebies, stuff. You go, you see pamphlets or flyers, and then they can't get rid of it. So that's another form. So some of this is brought on by comfort or brought brought on for comfort? I think so. I actually, I really do because from, you know, what you read and what you hear other people talking about, yeah, it's, it's almost like you said, a comfort thing going back to when you were talking about someone living through the depression. Okay. They know that we're not in the depression right now. They've lived through it, but just knowing that they have it just in case, you know, it gives them that comfort. Right. And I guess, you know, what if, and we've seen and heard those who buy stuffed animals or dolls or collect 
collect books and and there's I mean the books you can't even get around the house for the books they don't even know what kind of books they've got but somehow those books are giving them some sense of security or comfort because it's something that they're interested in and they have plans for them right but the plans never get done right and and that's more so too with the collectors they have plans for them versus just it's giving some sort of comfort your hoarders typically don't really have plans. Um, like I said, some things that they're purchasing, and they're usually not necessarily big ticket items. It may be that they order, you know, six packs of underwear every other, you know, month or something. Um, it, it may be just something simple as, you know, nail files. You can't have enough nail files. Um, they don't really have a use other than they think, okay, I can use them or I need them. Um, versus, you know, this is a pretty doll. I'd like to collect these. Now I have 200 of them. Okay, but they're very organized. We have them in a certain place. We showcase them. A hoarder doesn't showcase. Things aren't organized. They're just lying around. And then eventually, if it continues, then we go to the piles and then we go, you know, to the impeded active living spaces. But a collector... It, it, let's say it is books um, or clothes or whatever, and they're collecting these things, uh, even if they have a plan and they think they have some type of a system, once it got, gets towards impeding the flow of their house, does that switch over to hoarder definition? Or if they still have a mental capacity of, you know, I'm categorizing this, I have a plan, you know, even though they never carried out. And I guess what I'm asking is where does – where do, and maybe we could never do that. It takes someone like you. But but we walk into a house, we're going to call it a hoarder, obviously, because it's all full. But where does a collector <laughs> and a hoarder – where does that line break when, when in fact, they really, really are doing kind of the same thing except one thinks they have a plan and the other one don't even have a plan at all? Uh, yeah, a true collector is typically going to be somebody that knows specifically what they're – they're going to be wanting a certain type of something – a hoarder, there, there isn't a certain type. It may be nail files this week. It may be, you know, um, magazines that we just continually keep. And then it may be underwear the next week. You know, it may be hairbrushes. It may be pots and pans, you know. And it may start off, you know, this impulsive buying because they're also very impulsive. Okay, so and then they're giving stuff away to people and then eventually maybe something happens. We don't necessarily understand it, but obviously something goes on in the mind, something clicks and they no longer can let go. Collectors a lot of times will buy, sell, trade, you know, um, orders. They don't let go of it. They're not getting rid of it no matter what. So a collector may be out of control. He, they may have more stuff than they, than they can actually buy, sell, and trade uh, because they've collected right. too much. But but still yet, they're, they're more – but psychologically, they're totally different as well, right? A collector is just – Right. He just, they're collecting and they're buying and selling and trading, and, and even though it's out of control, uh, they're, it's not caused from the same psychological reason. Right. No, and you ask a collector exactly. You ask a collector. You know, tell me about this. Tell me, they're they're going to be able to tell you about every just about everything that they've purchased over the years. Okay, they're going to have notes or mental notes. They're going to remember. You ask a hoarder. You know, you point to a pile down a hallway or a, a pile next to the toilet. You know, just really weird places. You know, what's this here for? 
uh, well, I need it. Right. <laughs> you know, you may not get a clear-cut answer. Right, right. I, I don't touch that. Okay, well, can I move this so I can sit in the chair? Well, why don't you sit over here? Or, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And then from our perspective, walking into a house, law enforcement, EMS, uh, things like that, we are not going to know the difference. I mean, just off the... At least off the cuff, we may not, because it's still going to be full. Um, but so, but back to our uh, environmental issues, um, the what we face as uh, as first responders, uh, law enforcement, things like that, is going into these houses. Uh, not only do we have fall risk, uh, we have collapse, avalanche, uh, you know, uh, of, uh-huh. of items. Uh, but then also, if you got the hoarders, that has got the garbage and the dogs and things like that. That's in that's an environmental issue. Uh, that they need to consider what they're stepping in, breathing, moving, because that can be very dangerous as well, correct? Exactly, because you don't know how long things have been there, and you don't necessarily know what they are hoarding, okay? When I say bizarre, I mean, I just named a few things. Um, Sometimes people, and I mentioned excrement, I mean, I have heard of literally a bathroom turned into a shrine for excrement. Okay, that's not sanitary. That's got to be a psychological uh, issue, though, right, Doctor? I mean, yes. I, I mean, if they're yes. if they're putting now, now let's say though that uh, their toilet isn't working, okay, or they have no running water, and their their bathtub is just full of used toilet paper, you know, uh, and that could just be, I guess, a terrible housekeeper. But again, there's there's an environment. If if their if their bathtub is full of used toilet paper, the rest of the house is going to probably look similar. Even if they're not doing finger mm-hmm. painting, they still have got an environmental problem there because that's something that when we go into, you know, they're living in it, but they're not healthy either. Right. Right. Yeah, and the thing too is there's other psychological disorders. You know. Um, People will do some oddness and strange things when they're extremely depressed. Uh, If they have social anxiety, you know, they will do whatever it takes to stay inside that house and not have to go out in public. And even if that means that things stop working and maybe not having someone come in to fix it, um, you know, or like you said, they won't allow anyone to come in maybe and help them clean or they won't leave and clean. Does that necessarily mean they're a hoarder? Because the house is starting to get in that type of situation where there's a lot of stuff piling up. No, you know, there could be a total different cause. So, yes, for someone just walking in, you know, unless it's a very extreme case where you see items piled up, blocking walkways, blocking, you know, the, the person living there or recently deceased obviously did not even have a place sleep or, you know, maybe one place to sit or you had to move stuff, you know, could not function as a normal person can function in a house, then, yeah, you probably got a hoarder. Right. So from our perspective, if law enforcement responds to a call, let's say non, non-deceased, but they respond to a call and they see something that's like this or, or they get an, a 911 call and ambulance is there and things like that. So... They then should, of course, follow their protocols, but there are avenues that they can, senior services, family services, they can call and report these things to at least start the process of helping these people. And and that's something that should be done, correct, from your perspective? Most definitely, and especially if the person has, you know, a primary care physician. I mean, that would be the best place to start. 
you know, let that primary care physician follow up with the person and, you know, be tipped off. Okay, this is the, this is their living conditions. And then they can start asking a few questions. And if they're not comfortable, you know, proceeding, obviously, they may want to just forward it on to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and say, look, you know, I want you to see this person ever so often. Just talk about some things. And, you know, I haven't read where there was a hoarder and then they just miraculous, miraculously were cured. Um, however, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy seems to do some good for some people. Um, you know, it's also used with PTSD. But mental disorders, you know, it's like some diseases that we walk around with. Um, they're not always you're able to cure them, but you're able to treat them. You're able to keep it under control. And, you know, in that way, the person can live a normal life. But unless they know that they have a problem, why would they even go to ask for help? Right, because they've accepted it or they have a reason for it in their mind that there's a reason for why they do what they do. So let's take this right. Let's take this to a personal. Let's say there's a listener out there right now who has heard our conversation and says, you know, I think that's my mom or my wife or my brother or, you know, I now I understand that, you know, they're not just a collector. They are a hoarder and this is going to get worse. So what advice would we give that person to be able to deal with their loved ones from a family perspective? Well, obviously, you don't want to go and just, you know, attack someone and just say, OK, I think you've got this problem here and we need to take care of it now. You know, they might just start off gently um, next time they're visiting, hey, you know what? The holidays are coming up. What if we get together and we come over? We've been kind of doing some spring cleaning, you know, at our house or fall cleaning, whatever you want to call it. How about we come over and kind of help you get things ready, you know, for the holidays? Um, if the person's like, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Great, thanks. I'd appreciate that. And you go over and you're bagging up some trash, what you call trash, and they're going out the door and that person is totally okay with it, you don't have a problem. You know, they just needed a little help house cleaning. But you get there and then all of a sudden, okay, no, I can't let go of that. No, don't move that. Don't touch that. And unless they know that, you know, there's some other, something going on, whether it be dementia, uh, you know, or some other disorder that's affecting their brain, then you can't be 100% sure, but yes, a trip to the doctor, that that would definitely be in order and let the doctor talk to them one-on-one and ask questions, not directly, but indirectly, they can start, you know, identifying specifiers and going, oh, okay, this may be a problem or we might have something else on our hands. Right. Now, that's good advice. And so I think, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that have resonated with this conversation that they know somebody um, you know, then, then maybe they just know that they're a collector of all kinds of things. But and that's could be, <laughs> and that could be a problem as well. But, you know, sometimes there are people that do collect a lot of things. But in our industry, in our field, when we get into these houses, it's hard for us to maneuver. It's hard to, for the ambulance to get somebody out. Uh, and, you know, and that, that needs probably especially if they're seniors, senior citizens, they can re- be reported to that state's. Uh, that county's division of senior services who can check on them because if they're you know if they're by themselves and they don't have a family necessarily looking out for them, 
then senior services comes in and, and maybe can help them because again that's their safety right. that's a safety issue and now, of course not I'm talking about animals I'm just talking about even if they're a collector or a hoarder when it gets to the point that they're kind of hard to move around in their house that's a safety issue that probably needs to be reported to someone you know we've seen that on TV exactly. where counties come in and and give a person ninety you know that hoarding TV show which I don't I guess I've seen it once or twice but it's kind of boy they they're going to tell somebody, look, we're going to ban your house and kick you out if you don't clean it up. But um, I'm not suggesting we do that to somebody, but certainly there's a safety issue, and we should be looking out for their safety if we as law enforcement, coroners, things like that, see that. Uh, the, the, the call I was on not too long ago, a lady died in the house. We had to take her out the window because there was no way we could get into her where she was at. So luckily there was a window there, and it was on the first floor, and there was, a, there was another person living in the house, and... And they shared this one bed, this one bedroom. And, um, of course, it was just as full. But as we're walking through and we're trying to get into the house, they're picking stuff up and moving out of the way like trash can, like a trash bag and like garbage, like household, household take to the curb garbage, purely. Mm-hmm. And, they, and and it was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just got behind the last couple of weeks. I just haven't been able to catch up. Um, you only no. got one room be, be, because the garbage is to over my head of stuff. And, I mean, they're like, man, I'm sorry for the mess. I just I just lost. I just haven't been able to clean up. And I think they realize it's a problem, but they were comfortable living in it for somehow. Yes. Well, and, and it's just like we were talking earlier, like with someone with OCD. They know they have a problem, but they may have to turn that doorknob seven or eight times before they can walk out the door. And they know it's silly. They know that they shouldn't have to do that. But can they stop doing it on their own? No. Same way with some hoarders, you know? Yes. Especially if they said, hey, look, I just haven't had a chance, you know, to take the garbage out. I'm so sorry for this, you know, please just disregard. They know they have a problem. They admitted, yes, they have a problem, but can they do anything about it on their own? No. Right. They need help. Right. So even though, and, and I am not even making this up, even though I would say garbage hasn't been taken out of that house in five years. I mean, I, I'm not even making that up. That, there was only one area wow. to give into. I mean, the garbage was extensive, over my head, extensive, a path. I'm talking about garbage, rats and dogs. and I mean, it, it's been years since they took the trash to the curb. And, and they lived in that. I mean, they lived in that. And, and that was, you know, that's an extreme, extreme case. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, they, they, again, feces and, and urine and everything all over the floor. The carpet was squishy. Uh, and we, we ended up, I ended up, when I did my part, I ended up putting on a hazmat protective suit, a Tyvek suit to go in. I didn't want to breathe it. I didn't right. want to kick stuff up and breathe it and get it on me. And, and I mean, it was just, it was that bad. But they, they, I guess were comfortable in it. They might have seen it was a problem, but they psychologically somehow got comfortable in it. And I, I assume is what I'm hearing. You're saying they know it's wrong, but this is how we live. We're used to it, and I just don't invite anybody over type thing. Well, and exactly, and very rarely do you have a severe disorder that you do not have some other type of disorder along with it. So, you know, there always has to be, everybody, you know, you always want to go, what, why? But why? I mean, you can, but why it to death and you can, you know, try to find that pinpoint that one particular thing. And, and that's, well, that's the unique thing about our brains, okay? We can't always just pinpoint one particular reason as to why we are behaving a certain way. But 
if, you know, like I said, they haven't been going out of the house, maybe, you know, social anxiety. Maybe they just have a fear of going outside and dealing with people. They're okay if you come into their area. Okay, well, did they ask to be a hoarder? No, but in compensating for maybe the anxiety, the social anxiety, what did they do? They just restricted themselves to the house, and then look what they've got themselves into. So, you know, you can look at it from this perspective. Yes, it's a mental disorder in a sense of, okay, now I'm at this point. I know I have a problem, but I just can't stop. Right. Yeah, right. they tr- you know, they truly are crying out for help. Right. All right. Well, and I I think you've really gave us a great overview of what uh, this hoarding behavior is, uh, you know, against what a collector is. But again, we're going to see it and we may not know it right off the bat. Uh, but it's, but again, now we've kind of a little bit of a better understanding. And, and I'm glad I was able to get you on the show because it's something that's come up more uh, with my cases and others have been talking about this issue uh, with hoarding. And so I'm glad we was able to to weigh into this. Uh, love your website again, mindsleuth.net. And of course, uh, mindsleuth, you are all about investigative psychology. So let's just give a minute and tell us what you do as a whole. I mean, you do a lot here with with your mind sleuthing. I love the website. I mean, I keep saying it, but I love it. And it's well laid out. And and so, but you also do handwriting analysis and. Um, some other things as well. Tell us about that real quick. Okay. Well, actually, mindsleuth.net is my blog site. Um, and so I like to kind of, you know, just pick various topics that having to do with investigative psychology. Um, my other website is my business, doshrographologicalanalysis.com. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, but you can also get there, too, from Mindsleuth from the blog. And um, I have recently just finished some research that I've been working on the past five and a half, six years, uh, the handwriting analysis, but it's not your typical handwriting analysis. Um, get this, Darren. I don't actually read really? the writing. You just no, look- I don't read the writing. So what are you looking for? Well, it's all quantitative. Uh, so I take a lot of measurements, and basically I am getting a time-stamped view of a person's mental processes at that moment in time, uh, specifically deceptive versus truthful behavior, um, behavior that may be truthful but under a lot of cognitive load, also known as stress and anxiety, versus deceptive that may also be under a lot of cognitive load. Wow. So it's groundbreaking. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, a lot of research, no one has actually done it yet <laughs> besides me. Uh, so, yes, my, my website is starting to get quite a bit of activity, uh, more so from Europe, though, than the U.S. I'm kind of surprised. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, you, you know, you've, there's, sci- there's science behind it. Someone has to be looking at it, and I'm glad that, you know, you started looking into that. Uh, you also, of course, assist with psychological autopsies of decedents and of crimes and things like that. And, and, and you're... And, but you do a lot of forensic psychological analysis. That, that's, that's your main purpose is something to do with how the mind works when it comes to crime, deception, things like that. That's, that's your uh, primary focus, is it not? Exactly, yes. Um, I'm a former forensic scientist, so yes, I've been on quite a few crime scenes and investigated crime scenes, but I always would walk away with the same question. 
why? What would make a person do this? How did this possibly come about? And yes, Darren, that's why I eventually got into the forensic psychology side, specifically investigative psychology. Uh, I'm just one of those people. I just, I want to know why. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's, and that's what, uh, that's what makes a good sleuth. And that's why you're a money sleuth. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I do get, I thank you again for being on the show. There's been a wealth of information and yes, we want to have you back certainly to talk about some other stuff. Uh, I'll let you go for today, but again, thank you very, very much. You have, you have really poured into us today. Thank you so much. Hoarders and collectors. So hoarders and collectors. Well, you know that I really learned a lot about that because I would say half the people I know are collectors or hoarders. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're just collectors. But now I do know a difference. I, I, I do believe, however, that when you or I walk into a house, it will be hard for us to, to know which one it is just by looking in some cases. So uh, you can handle them both the same. You know, if you see something where where a person's life is in, impeding uh, their, their 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 environment is impeding their life, that's something that probably needs to be reported. Uh, one of the big things, though, is our safety. When you go into a house that, uh, whether whether it be environmental like feces and things like that, that can be a biohazard for you, or if it's a, maybe there's a, an avalanche fall or a collapse or something that, that could hurt us. If you're walking through a house and something falls on you, of course, then you're in danger. So watch out for that stuff. When you go into these houses, yes, we put ourselves in danger. Yes, we do go into places sometimes that others dare not to tread. But, you know, these things are getting worse, I believe. I'm seeing more of it, and you probably are too. So just protect yourself. Just watch what is around you and uh, take all the precautions you can. If you have any questions specific about uh, hoarding versus collector or how that looks or whatever, uh, drop us a, a line in the show notes, and, and we'll see if we can weigh into that. Uh, and if you have any examples, we'd love to hear from you about that as well. So remember, you can find everything to do with this uh, show and conversation at cornertalk.com. Also, our online training, everything we have, free resources we have, the online store, everything can be found at cornertalk.com, including the link over to Death Investigation Academy. And the Death Investigation Academy, of course, is one of the largest online academies for death investigators. There's a death investigation master class there, coroner school, medical legal death investigator class. Lots of states is using that for their for their primary coroner training. A lot of continuing education on there, uh, and it is growing all the time. So you can get, uh, it's all, of course, nationally approved, ABMDI approved, standardized training. Uh, and we are quickly becoming one of a premier training site. And so I do appreciate all of you for, for weighing in on that and, and scoring us and grading us. So if you need any other specific training, virtual training, anything like that, you know, don't hesitate to, to let me know. It is real easy to get a, a, a projector, a laptop, and a camcorder or a webcam. I can, you can bring me into your facility for, for a couple hours to train on something or, or to discuss something for next to nothing, just to have a conversation. Love to do that. Love to pour into you in that way. And uh, you save all the time and travel and money. And if we do it correctly, uh, we can get ABMDI credits for that as long as someone is there that can uh, be of authority to say, yes, these people were here the whole time. Now you're getting credit training credits and nobody has to leave the office so you know think about that i think it's something that uh, has worked well in the past and will work for you 
Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSBN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617 1024 scene on route to morgue. 